Well, great to see you. I like it when Kurt gives announcements. You know why we like him so much? Because we're children at heart. And he communicates so well to children. So uh, it's great to have him do it. Um, it's been a week. Have you been staying cool? Uh, yeah. I, someone was praying this morning before the service and said, God, we complain about the rain when it's here. Now we complain about the heat when it's here. So uh, I want to share with you that uh, I'd like you to be praying for a couple of people. Uh, uh, I want you to pray for um, uh, Chris and Kathy Sword. Um, uh, Last week on Thursday, uh, Kathy was life flighted to Emmanuel Hospital in Portland uh, with a brain aneurysm. And um, they um, did a surgery on Thursday night about 10 o'clock and did a procedure that would help with that situation. And she's recuperating at uh, uh, Emmanuel in Portland and Chris is up there, and we want you to be praying for them. Chris is one of our elders. Uh, he serves on the search team. Uh, he has been on the staff here at Northwest Hills, and uh, they are good friends to so many of us and so many of you. I talked with both of them last night, with Chris and with Kathy, and um, she sounds well uh, I mean, she sounds pretty good, and uh, she has not had good days until last evening. She started feeling a little better, um, probably because some of the medication she is on began to do better work. And um, so um, uh, we want to be praying for them. I will probably go up there tomorrow uh, if uh, they, if I call tomorrow and they say today will be a good day, then I will go up there. Um, uh, she is in neurological ICU in Emmanuel, and uh, you know they don't let everybody in there, but they let pastors in. So I will go up there, and I prayed with them on the phone last night, and I will pray with them tomorrow, and we want you to be praying for them. Also, we want you to be praying for Susan Connor. She has been struggling with horrible headaches. Um, Our elders have been to their home twice this week and uh, praying over Susan. And we're praying that she would get some relief from those headaches. And uh, she can't stand noise. and She can't stand light. And uh, they're sort of migraine kinds of headaches. Um, we believe, or they believe, uh, the product of an accident she was in some time ago. And so we want you to be praying for her. And um, and then, of course, you know, our whole community was kind of jarred this week with uh, a young man from one of the high schools that took his life. And uh, it's being difficult on the school, the teachers, we have at least a couple of our family members here, our teachers there. And uh, we want you to be praying about 
our community as well and for our community. If you know anybody connected to that, be praying with them and for them as they go through this experience. Let's begin. Heavenly Father, thank you today that we may call upon you. Theology is important to us because we come to realize that what we believe about you dictates our morality. It dictates how we function. And it's good for us to be reminded this morning that you are in charge and you never make any mistakes. It's good for us to be reminded, Father, that you are an all-powerful, omniscient God and you can do anything omnipotent. And, Father, we pray that today you will bless these that we have mentioned. For a community, Father, for the high school for a family that is crushed because a son has taken his life, we pray, Father, you will wrap your arms around them and their lives, that you will speak into their lives with your word and with your spirit. Bring to them, Father, what they need for the teachers and the faculty and the administrators of the school, bless them. For the football team, Father, for so many others impacted by this, may Jesus be seen, Father. Uh, we pray today, Father, for Kathy. We ask you, Father, to give to her a comfort right now. Enable her to be without pain Make her comfortable. Enable her, Father, to be able to relax and trust in you as well as the good doctors there at Emmanuel. Give them great wisdom. We know she will be in there maybe as many as 14 days. We pray, Father, that you will watch over her and help there not to be any after effects or issues to happen there. We would ask you, Father, to uh, heal her and to enable her to recuperate uh, rapidly. Uh, we pray, Father, for Susan. We ask you, Father, to give her relief from her pain. We ask you, Father, to enable her to get up and to move forward with her life. We pray that you will give her doctors wisdom and enable them to land on some help for her. And, Father, we know that you could touch her and remove it all instantly. We would be pleased if you would do that. Uh, we pray, Father, for these two husbands, for Steve and for Chris. Wrap your arms around them. Give them wisdom, Father. Give them stamina as they care for their wives in these days and minister to them. And above all else, Father, we would like Jesus to be magnified. We would like Jesus to be upheld. We would like his name to be out front. And we pray, Father, that you will honor yourself. So today, Father, 
as we talk a little about his theology. Enable us, Father, to grow a little more, be sanctified a little further, so that you may use our lives. And we'll give you the praise for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, You'll be interested to know that when I spoke with Kathy last night on the phone, she said on Thursday night, they called in this team of doctors to do this surgery. And uh, um, they were in the surgery room. She was all prepped. They were ready to go. And and just before um, they were ready to give her the anesthetic, she said, wait a minute. Is it okay if I pray? And so... Kathy prayed, and they were all there, doctors, nurses. And uh, so she prayed, and then they did this surgery. And I said, see that, Kathy? On the phone last night, I said, see that? You're already having a testimony. She said, no, no, this was purely (laughs) self-serving. So she still got her sense of humor, and she's doing fine. And uh, we want to just uh, continue to uphold her. If you've come to know me, and many of you have, you realize I like to read the old guys. And so uh, uh, Don Snow hasn't written anything yet, so I can't read Don Snow. But I read the old guys, and you know one of my favorites is... Uh, A.W. Tozer. Now, A.W. Tozer isn't that old. He died in 1962. So I was uh, I was already 20 years old. And so uh, I didn't know I didn't know A.W. Tozer lived yet at that point. But but he has become one of my favorite authors. His book, Pursuing God, his book, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy, are books that have become very precious to me. And I would, want, I would want to read a statement to you that he read. And, and keep in mind that he wrote this statement before 1962. He's talking about theology. He says, we have gotten accustomed to the blurred puffs of gray fog that pass for doctrine in our churches. And we really can't expect anything better. He said, from some previously unimpeachable sources are now coming vague statements consisting of a milky mixture of scripture, science, and human sentiment that is true to none of its ingredients because one always works against the other. He says, little by little, Christians these days are being brainwashed. He goes on to say, one evidence is that members of many churches are becoming ashamed to be found unequivocally on the side of truth. They say we believe, but their beliefs have been so diluted as to be impossible 
of clear definition. Listen to this. Moral power has always been accompanied by definite beliefs. In other words, our doctrine dictates our morality. We have to understand that. Because what we believe dictates what we do. That's really what the scriptures teach. Out of the heart, a man acts. Out of the heart, a man speaks. Great saints, he says, have always been dogmatic. And then this statement he winds up with. He says, we need to return to a gentle dogmatism. I like that. A gentle dogmatism that smiles while it stands stubborn and firm on the word of God, which stands for all eternity. And what the Apostle Paul is doing as we enter into chapter 3 of Galatians is he's going to become very doctrinal. He's going to become very theological. And what you find is that Paul enters into a period of time in Galatians chapter 3 and 4 where you will find the strongest language that Paul ever wrote. You will find that Paul is speaking the strongest language in most in most any of the epistolary literature in the New Testament. He becomes very doctrinal. That's typical for Paul. Take Ephesians, for example. You can cut Ephesians right down the middle. The first three chapters are doctrine. The last three chapters are the application of that doctrine in an applicable way. I'm, I'm going to be speaking on the 15th of this month, a Wednesday, to a group of people, and I'm going to be speaking several times all day long. And what am I going to be speaking on? Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 are 14 steps of standing before God. The duck, you, you know what? You, you need, you, you read Ephesians 1, and if you were in a prison someplace, and the only page you could tear out of a Bible and keep, it ought to be Ephesians 1. It is, it is so much theology in Ephesians 1 that you can't get through it in a day. So Paul tends to give theology and then introduce that theology into the lives of people in a way that they can actually live that theology out. And that's what he's going to do here. He's going to uh he's going to get very direct. And why is that? Because he's in a battle. He's in a war. He's trying to prove that the only way to get saved is through Christ alone. No other way. He is not an amateur uh, amateur when it comes to debate. And his logic in these passages is unassailable. 
So the Apostle Paul is going to get very doctrinal, very logical, and we need to follow that logic. The Galatians are what I call backslidden. The Galatians are backslidden with regard to their doctrine, not particularly with regard to their carnality. However, once you go backslidden with your doctrine, carnality will almost always follow in one form or another. Backslide is really a biblical word. You find it several times in the uh, uh, book of Jeremiah. Uh, But I would point out to you that in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19, chapter 5, verse 6, and chapter 14, verse 7, the word actually means apostasy. And that's what's happening here. They're backslidden, but they're backslidden into apostasy. Now, you know the word apostasy. The Greek word is apostasia. It's one of those words that was never translated for us because it's called apostasy in the New Testament. And we want to know what does apostasy mean? The word actually means to depart. And so they they departed from the original doctrine that they were given. And we're going to see that in this text. So let's take a look at our outline. Paul first asks them to remember their past spiritual experience. So what he wants them to do is he wants them to come to the place where they say, what did we originally believe? What did we understand about the gospel in the first place? And that's where he's going to bring them and in the text before us. So let's take a look at our text. First of all, he says, you foolish Galatians. You people are fools. He says, Uh, you people are fools. Who has bewitched you? Circle the word bewitch. Uh, uh, The Greek word boskaneo. Boskaneo is a word which... uh, means to be carried away. It's the same word. By the way, the form that is used here is the only place this one is used in the New Testament. But the original, the the, the origin form, Vaskaneo, is a word that is the same word that is used when Mary is standing in the garden and she turns and sees the gardener and says, if you have taken his body, if you have taken away his body. That's the word here. Who has taken you away? He's saying. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Pro graphe. Pro graphe. Graphe is the word we get our English word graphic from. Uh, means to write or to draw. And pro means before. So this was pre-spelled out for you. The, the idea is Jesus was put up before you as being crucified. And you saw that. So that is a definition Paul is giving to the gospel at this point. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? By hearing with faith. 
Are you so foolish, he says, having begun by the Spirit, that you now, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This, by the way, is the first time Paul introduces the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in his epistolary literature. This is the first time he introduces it here in Galatians. And if Galatians is the first book, this is the first time we see the Spirit coming in to indwell us. And when he talks about um, the idea that the Spirit is the one who perfects us, he's talking about the sanctification that we get from the Spirit of God. So as soon as the Spirit enters us, he begins to work in us and grow us and sanctify us. Sanctification is the setting apart of a person, meaning that uh, we refer to it as the spiritual growth that takes place inside of us after we become Christians. He goes on and says, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now, there's different thoughts on what the Galatians suffered. Here's my thought. Uh, All the other guys have a right to be wrong. We know what's happening in Galatia. The people received the gospel from from Paul, which was salvation through the blood of Christ plus nothing. And then... The Judaizers came in, and they wanted to change what they believed, and they sometimes put great pressure on them. They might have even beat some of them up. They might have even wanted to throw some of them in jail. And this this persecution that they received from the Judaizers may well be what Paul is talking about here. Now, it's also possible that they were getting some persecution from the Romans as well. That's a possibility. And Paul is saying to them, was was this done in vain? Did you get persecuted in vain? Why do you think they want to persecute you? Because you have the truth, and they don't like the truth. Then he says, does he then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, Do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Circle the word hearing with faith. That's an important word. We see it twice in this passage, hearing with faith. And the word hearing is the Greek word akuo. And there are many words in the scriptures uh, for hearing. There's a word which means you can hear. It goes in one ear and out the other and you never remember it. There's another one that says, you hear, but you have no idea what you heard. Uh, Sometimes I watch America's Funniest Videos, and they have this section, what is this noise? And they put up a noise, and of course, nobody ever guesses the dumb thing. I can never guess it. And so there's a word that you heard something, but you don't know what it is. This word, akuo, is a word which means to perceive, comprehend, understand. So they not only heard it, but they knew it. They understood it. And you have to understand when you look at the rest of this text, 
that these are people who comprehended the truth of the gospel at the outset. They understood it, they perceived it, and they, un- they, they accepted it the way they perceived it. And so that's what I want to say in the next part there. I say, they knew the basis of the gospel. And if they were going to turn away from the basis of the gospel, they were going to do that by a determined act. They were going to do that willingly. And I might add to you that that's the way people generally do turn away from the truth of the word of God is by an act of their will. Even though they can say, he told me to do that, they still, you know... uh, You know, Adam wanted to blame it on the woman. Uh, The woman wanted to blame it on the serpent. Everybody wants to blame it on somebody else. But when we do these things, we have to understand it is an act of our will. Remember that legalism is an aggressive enemy. We get bewitched by it. And make no mistake... The Judaizers were coming in to the Galatian church and they were saying, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And the Judaizers were saying to them, if you don't get circumcised, you will never see God. Today, there are people who will tell you that you have to be baptized to be saved. If you don't get baptized, you will never see God. They are that plain, and they put on a lot of pressure. There are churches that if you raise your hand and want to get saved, the first thing they do is rush you to the baptistry. And the reason is they want to add something to what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And it's no different from what the Judaizers were doing. More subtle, maybe, but no different. So let me say that they received salvation by faith. That's what he's saying in this text. So the Holy Spirit came into them in verse 3, initially for the sanctifying work of the Spirit to begin. And Paul is saying to them, what's the matter with you? Are you not using your heads? Have you lost all ability to reason? You're not thinking straight in this process. They have become so irrational that they would answer yes to many of the rhetoric questions. There are four of them in these verses if you look at it carefully. And they would answer yes to every one of them. That's how irrational they have become. How is it that a person in a backslidden state can think so illogically and unbiblically? Think of the, think of the, uh, the prodigal son. I mean... He went nuts because he wanted what he wanted. I I will never forget 
a lady who taught in our Sunday school. And um, one day I was in a, a Fred Meyer parking lot. And I was getting in my car. And I saw her get out of another car, kind of across the parking lot. And a fellow that I didn't know got out of the car, ran around, and they embraced, and they hugged, and they kissed passionately. And this guy was not her husband. And then he got in the car and drove off, and she got in her car next to it and drove off. Now, the last thing that a Sunday school teacher wants to happen when she's backslidden is for the pastor to see that. So I sat down with her, and then I sat down with her and her husband. We'll call him John. His name wasn't John, but we'll call him John. And uh, here's what she said to me. She said, you know, when I married John, I believed with all my heart that he was the man God wanted me to marry. But she said, now I realize he wasn't the man and now I have found the man God really wanted me to marry. Therefore, I will divorce John and marry this guy. I said, oh, God changed his mind. The divorce happened. Uh, she married the other guy. Ultimately, she found God's third choice. And let me tell you why that happens. I give you a piece out of Proverbs 18.1. He who separates himself seeks his own desires. He quarrels against sound wisdom. When a person gets backslidden... They will certainly give you a different interpretation of the Bible that suits their own selfishness. Make no mistake, our theology will dictate our morality. And that's precisely what happened here. And what Paul is saying is that backsliding is some sort of temporary insanity. That happens to us because we get so self-driven, whether that has to do with doctrine or whether that has to do with carnality, either one. So let's take a look at what goes here. He goes to Abraham. Paul further reminds them that Abrahamic, that the Abrahamic covenant was based on faith. All right. Let's take a look at the text. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, you might know that we folk up in, I, I try not to use it this way, but we folk up in North Idaho like the word reckon, you know. You say, you going to lunch today? And I say, I reckon so. Uh, a lot of people talk like that. And so, this word, reckon, logizomai, means to uh, place the actual and the truthful fact upon a person. 
So it was reckoned to him as fact, as truth. And as a result, uh, he was given righteousness, not because he did something, but because he believed God. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, that becomes very important. Because, see, the, the Jews centered everything on Abraham. In fact, uh, you might be interested to know, Islam does the same. They center everything on Abraham. If you were to go to the Dome of the Rock, which is the famous uh, Muslim temple uh, that is on the uh, site of, uh, that is on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. I have been there uh, twice. And you walk in there, the first thing you have to do is take off your shoes. And you walk in there. They don't let you go in there in shorts. They don't let you go in there uh, 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 with, uh, uh, you meet their standard. When you walk in there, the first thing you walk into is to see this rock. It's about as big as this room. And uh, it's about as high as this room. And there's a fence all around it. So you can't touch it. You can't get near it. And it is believed, we believe, this is the rock that Abraham took Isaac to to sacrifice him on that rock. Islam, on the other hand, would say, no, no, that's not true. He, he sacrificed Ishmael. Now make no mistake that the battles that we read about in the Bible, the battle of Armageddon and the battle of Gog and Magog, these battles are going to be between Isaac and Ishmael. Make no mistake that what's happening in the Middle East right now is largely based between Isaac and Ishmael. And to the Jew, they always went back to Abraham. Abraham is our father, the Jew would say. Because we come from Abraham. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that he's not your father. Everybody who believes in the promise of God is a child of Abraham. That means that you... And I are children of Abraham. That's what Paul is saying here. And the scripture foreseeing um, that God would justify the, gen- the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand. Um, uh, the, the word for gospel is uh, for for uh, preaching the gospel is you on you on galizomai you on galizomai he puts pro in front of this pro you on galizomai and he's saying that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham you see that what's the gospel the gospel is I'm God I'll take care of you you believe in me. And I will send you somebody who will bless the entire 
world. And who was that somebody? Jesus Christ. So Abraham believed. All the nations shall be blessed in you, he says. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So Abraham was justified by faith. He is the embodiment of salvation and justification and righteousness based on faith. Abraham hadn't worked to earn God's approval. He added nothing to God's promise to strengthen it or to increase its quality. Abraham was a man of faith, and the Galatians were also. That's what he's saying. And therefore, Abraham's children are those who likewise believe God, not just those who came directly from Abraham, as the Jews claimed. John the Baptist, I'm sorry, yeah, John the Baptist made this distinction in the book of Matthew for the Jews. They didn't listen to it. Jesus made this distinction in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 33, going all the way through uh, verse 47, and they didn't believe Jesus either. And now the Apostle Paul is saying it again. The sons of Abraham, the children of Abraham, are those who come to God by faith. Someone has said, God has no grandchildren. And what they mean by that is that each one of us must make the decision to follow Christ in faith ourselves. A lot of people sometimes say, well, you know, my parents were Christians. They brought me up. They took me to church. And so, therefore, I must be a Christian. No, that's not true. Each of us has to make this decision for ourselves. The logic is evident. If God promised to save the Gentiles by faith, then the Judaizers are wrong in wanting to take the Gentile believers back into the law. The true children of Abraham are not the Jews by physical descent, but Jews and Gentiles alike who have believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. Therefore, Paul is saying, that's the theology of it. You have to understand that we are saved through faith in Jesus and nothing, nothing else. Remember I told you that in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of the Gospel, the Gospel of how to get saved, the word believe is used 93 times in the Gospel of John. And each time it is connected to a person or of me who believes and gets saved. Think of theology. It dictates morality. Think of communion. We're going to serve you communion this morning. So um, just sit back, relax. Think of the theology that Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Can you think through the fact 
that a sovereign God would send his only son and crush him so that you and I might have a relationship with that same God. Think of the theology of Jesus saying, this cup is the new covenant. Do you, do you know what the new covenant is? Have you ever thought about that? Some old King James says, the New Testament in my blood. The word is covenant. So what is the new covenant? The new covenant in my blood. That's the new covenant. You're saved by blood. You're not saved by uh, killing all those animals and by keeping the Sabbath and by getting circumcised and all those other things anymore. You're killed by the shedding of one person's blood. That's the new covenant. We live in the new covenant right now. If you take this theology... Books have been written on it. And you think through it long enough, you, it'll boggle your mind and you'll fall so much more in love with God. So when you take communion this morning, think of the crushing of Jesus on your behalf. And that will lead you to think, how then should I live? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for theology. Thank you for giving to us your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for honoring your promise to send Jesus and to take me into your kingdom because I believe on his blood. I think, Father, to hear a child say, I want to get baptized because I believe Jesus died for my sins. How simple can it be? So, Father, we give ourselves to you this morning. We pray that you will bless us as we remember what Jesus has done for us. It's in his sweet name we pray. Amen.